welcome to the Wasting Time podcast. Uh, this is episode 49. 49? We're almost at the 50 mark, Chris. Yeah, it's taken nearly five years to get there, but we're nearly there. It's been seriously accelerated over the last couple of years, though, hasn't it? It has, yeah. How's it going? It's um, Friday night as we record this, um, so glad the week's out of the way. Yeah, things are good. We've we're in, you know, at the start of like a second wave right now in Britain with uh, COVID. Newcastle is in lockdown again to a degree. So. Yeah, for the listeners, right? So obviously, Nick and I record this with me being in London, him being in Newcastle. We haven't actually seen each other in person since. You make me feel bad now, aren't you? It's it's not your fault, to be fair. It's like <laughs> it's been a year and a year and a half since I've been in the same room as you. When we did the when we did the show off episode, that was the last time we saw each other in person, and uh, yeah, it feels like COVID's determined to keep that happening because we were supposed to do Manchester Punk Festival together. They're yeah. supposed to come down yeah. next week, but yeah. Well, you know what they say: absence makes the heart grow fonder. Very much so, my friend. Yeah, so. yeah. How's things with you? Good. Yeah, not too bad. A uh, bit disappointed to not be seeing you next week, but. Yeah, all in all, fine. I've got a week off work now, so looking forward to that. We're going up to Scotland for a few days, which would be nice. Nice. So yeah, all good. I tell you what, I have what has what the latest development in lockdown. Go on. Um, basically, I'm part of a TV trial with work, so I've got a, like a new um, TV box, basically. And with that yeah. trial, I get access to like all like the premium subscriptions, you know, sports, entertainment. And I get access to Hear You, which is all the like awful, um, awful reality TV, um, which my wife absolutely loves. Right. So she is going back and list, uh, watching like reruns of The Hills from the start. I wondered if that's where you're going with this. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I was thinking, how is this going to be linked to our kind of music? And I can see the link. Yeah. There. So, well, I had no idea. And like, I sit and listen to it, and I'm like, my toes are curling up. It's so awful. The people are terrible. And it's just, it's just, yeah, not good. And then all of a sudden, a, a cartel tune drops. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The soundtrack is absolutely awesome. Um, yeah. So you know, every now and then, as bad as the situation seems to be, um, you know, we get a, like a golden pop punk tune from yeah. the from I the early two thousands. I think, I think one of the main Pete. I was going to say characters in that, but I suppose technically they're real people. But one of the main people in that, I think she's married to one of the guys from Something Corporate. Or right. or something. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all sorts of links to, a, to 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 our kind of music with it randomly. Anyway, what I've seen today, right, is um a, a drive-through quiz on old press. Do you fancy having a crack at it? Yeah, I'm up for that. Go on then. Try and do it quick. Yeah, yeah, cuz this is a long episode, so yeah. So, right, first question, Chris. Go Which on. band released the first album uh for drive-through records? Was it Newfound Glory, The Benjamins, Cousin Oliver or RX Bandits? It's got to be either RX or um, Cousin well, Oliver. Any, I'm going gonna, gonna to go with Cousin Oliver. Cousin Oliver. 29% chose Cousin Oliver. Oh, we don't get the answer straight away. Maybe it'll come at the end. Oh, okay. we'll have to wait Next question. Okay. Which year did um, um, River Phoenix, later known as Phoenix TX, debut album first come out? 
96, 97, 98, or 99? 99. 99. Ooh, only 9% shows the answer. Okay, which label first released Newfound Glory's classic debut, Nothing Gold Can Stay, before Drive Through Records re released it seven months later? Eulogy Recordings, Victory Records, Go Kart Records, or Tooth and Nail Records? Uh, Eulogy. Looks like a good answer. Okay, which. Which album was Drive Through Records' first release of 2000? Dashboard, um, Dashboard, Swiss Army Romance, Midtown, Save the World, Lose the Girl, Newfound Glory from Screen to Stereo, uh, Alistair, Dead, Dead Ends, and Girlfriends. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I I'm going to say Alistair. You reckon? Mm, they, well, I mean, they all came out that year. 41% sure. went with, with Midtown. Which links in nicely with our guest today. <laughs> well, this whole quiz uh, does. I think you picked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what? I mean, can I can I change my answer? No. because uh, I was going to change it to Newfound Glory. Maybe actually, you can. Anyway. Oh no, you can. Newfound Glory. Uh, no, you yeah, can't gonna... change it. Sorry. All right, let's stick with Alistair. Yeah. Okay. What's the name of the debut EP from the starting line? With hopes of starting over, falling into place, a sacrifice of life, or audio boxer? With hopes of starting over. 63% shows that. Looks like a good answer. Where are post-hardcore juggernauts Finch from? Oh, loved a bit of Finch back in the day. Where is it like Pomona or somewhere? Uh, Temecula, California. Mesa, Arizona. Irvine, California. Carmel, California. Oh, it's, it's, it's Temecula. Temecula. Oh, there's quite a few questions here, actually. That's not ideal. Um, <laughs> We're trying to buy a uh, who produced Homegrown's underrated LP Kings of Pop? Mark Trombino, Jerry Finn, Steve Everts, or uh, Neil Avron? These are or good Avron? questions. These are good questions. I like this. Yeah, we should have uh, probably oh, given I, some more time for this. Yeah, I think I have a Neil Avron or Mark Trombino. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Neil Avron. The Trombino was the highest. Ah, um, uh, it must choice. have been that then. But... Okay, which song is not? Is not on Alistair's last stop suburbia. Scratch. I'm gonna get this. Yeah. Overrated. Flypaper or pictures. Pictures. Which year did Drive Through Records have their own stage on Warp Tour? 2001. 2002. There you go. Which act? This is like your quiz. And round all <laughs> over, and it really. Yeah. Which, well, I don't know. Can you imagine I'm if you were in a pub and you got them. this round, like. <laughs> Okay, which act were not on Drive Through Records? Anne Angle, Dave Melio, Melilio? I don't even know who that is. Quiet Drive, um, or Genoa? It's Genoa? Quiet Drive, isn't it? I don't even Quiet know Drive other, definitely. I don't even know the other artists, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I only know Anne Angle and Quiet Drive, obviously, but I know enough about Quiet Drive. Um, okay. Listeners, go and listen to our Quiet Drive episode if you haven't to yet. There you go. Okay, Hello, Goodbye were predominantly, um, oh, sorry, prominently featured on several episodes of MTV's The Real World, um, Austin, in 2005. Which other D uh, drive through Records band also got public love that season? The Early November, Halifax, Adelphi, or The Movie Life? Oh, that's, I've, I've no idea. What were the, what, what was it, Halifax or who? What was the second Adelphi, one? Adelphi, The Movie Life, Early November. I'll say early November. Okay. Halifax were the, were the biggest choice there. Uh, okay, who produced Probably Hidden Emily. in Plain Views? I'm not sure you got this one. Hidden in Plain Views, debut LP, Life in Dreaming. Jim Wirt, 
Rob Freeman, Brian McTurnan, or Andrew Wade? Rob Freeman. That's just a guess, then. It's the highest. I never really got into Hidden and Plainview. No, no, me neither. Uh, which label did Senses Fail initially release their debut EP from the depths of dreams on? <laughs> Vagrant, ECA, Fueled by Raymond, um, or Triple Crown Records? I'm going to say Triple Crown. ECA, well, Vagrant was the highest highest choice. Uh, which um, song opens Something Corporates, who we just talked about? Uh, now classic LP, Leaving Through the Window. Is it as you uh, as you sleep? It's, I woke up in a car. Hurricane, or I want to save you. It's, uh, it's um, hurricane, isn't it? No, it's I want to save you. So I want to save you. Hurricane was the EP opening song. It's right. definitely I want to save you. I'm not sure it is, but we'll see at the end. <laughs> um, who were the last band to release an album on drive through? Houston calls. I am the Avalanche. Self Against City or House of Fools. Houston calls. I don't know what that means. I was listening to a bit of Houston calls last night. Which leg- legendary '60s artist had a two-disc tribute album via Drive Through Records in 2005? Bob Dylan. Bob, Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's an underrated uh, tribute album. That it's worth seeking out. Really Which is person. not the name of an official Drive Through Records compilation. Mullet Core. Where's the beef? Another year on the streets, you'll never eat fast food again. I only know uh, you'll never eat fast food again from that. Um, where's the beef I'm going to go for? Okay. I think it was another year on the streets. Uh, uh, which, uh, sorry, who produced... Um, oh, this isn't working. Oh, it's broken. Oh, I've lost that question. Okay. Uh, two left. How many official artist compilation DVDs did the label release? Two, three, four, or five? DVD. Two. Two? I think the answer was four. You got nine out of 20. Not very. That's poor. Less not... than 50%. Yes. I, I would expect better from you. Yeah. That's uh, There's some, there were some tough questions in there. Yeah. Better luck next time. Do your research. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say let's go through the ones I got right and wrong. I can't, well, it ta- e- time is of the essence. Isn't it, it doesn't even look like it's going to give us that. So oh, uh, okay. it's just put me on the next quiz, which is: Can you ace this Paramore brand new eyes trivia quiz? I'm going to say not. I'm going to say that's a no from you. <laughs> no, it's not. No disrespect, Paramore, but no, there's no chance. No. Anything? Anything on your radar at the moment? Briefly. Mm. No, uh, I'll be real quick. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's been anything that came out that I've been really into. Um, not really, not really. Uh, Knuckle Puck's album came out today. I love it. It's... I've listened to it. Yeah, yeah, I listened. Yeah, to it you really afternoon. like it. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. It's kind of uh, it. It's 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 the poppiest I've ever heard them sounding. Yeah, and it's quite varied as well. Still, it's quite. I like. Uh, I think it's yeah. It's got a bit bit about it rather than just. Yeah, I guess it kind of it made me think of the uh, you know the Greatest Generation, that Wonder Years album. Yeah, okay, um, that, makes sense. that that just had a like yeah, just mixed it up a little bit and had something something for everyone, I guess really. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, it's got like every song's it, I mean, a little it's bit different. Broadly pop punk, obviously, but it does vary. Yeah. I really like Earthquake. 
And I'd yeah. like um, the song they put out with um, the Mayday Parade singer. That uh, it's called Breathe. Of course that you would. <laughs> that one's been out for a while, but I, I still really like that song. <laughs> but that's about that's all I've really listened to. I'll be honest. Uh, okay. It seems to have gone a bit quiet on the new releases front, unless I'm just. Yeah, like I mean, I'm still we've got Machine Gun Kelly next week. With really is that next week? Is it? To that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, Slick Shoes got a new album next week. All oh, right, I'll okay. look forward to that. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's really it for like new releases that I've listened to. Um, should we get on and introduce our guest? Today? Yeah, and I realise now, um, as we were doing that quiz, um, it did actually give me the right answers as we we're going. Um, it showed them up in green once I <laughs> okay. made major choice. And the question around um, the first, the, I can't remember what it was. First, first album of 2000 by Drive. Yeah, Green. Yeah, it was actually Midtown's um, Save the World, Lose the Girl. Save the World, Lose the Girl, which, yeah, um, yeah is our guest today. So it's Rob Hitt from, from the, bad mid, uh, the band Midtown. So. Yeah, yeah. Rob, so Rob was the drama in Midtown. Uh, Midtown, who were a, a sort of real sort of seminal band of the the turn of the century in in our world of music, you know, meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, I I saw them a few times. I went out. I once went out to Holland to see them randomly, which I talk about in this episode. And you know, they 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 were they 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 had quite a lot of success in the early two thousands, but they really kind of should have got to the next level, and they kind of sort of disbanded halfway through that decade and then rob kind of delved more into his record label he'd already started so uh i think that kind of sets it up nicely and uh here is our chat with him so yeah i met you a couple of times like way back in the day i don't know how much of this you'll remember but basically i so when i was like 19 i was in my first year of university and i emailed you guys like so i was based in brighton on the south coast of the uk and i was like huge been a huge fan of the band for a couple of years you guys are coming to europe me and my buddy have just bought plane tickets to go and see you in utrecht in the netherlands and <laughs> and you got back to me and just said oh that's crazy that's really cool um i'll put you on the guest list for the show so we went out to utrecht and and met you there and uh you know like had a fun night and stuff and then sort of stayed in touch a little bit so then you you came and played a show in brighton where i was living at the time a couple of days later and we kind of hung out again um so that's kind of you know i don't, I don't know how much of these these vague memories have stayed with you but that's that's my history with you what year was that the so this was this would have been 2002 so like the utrecht show is very early 2002 yeah so, so let like, me tell you why i put you on the guest list when you're a band from from america and you're going to play the netherlands you don't know if anybody's going to show up so if you can get one person guaranteed to come to the show you should put them on the guest yeah. list don't give them an excuse <laughs> two random kids from england as well how was exactly. the show chris was there many there what was the turnout it, it, like I, I i remember it being yeah probably about 100 over 100 there so I'll like that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i remember it was a sunday night as well so to, to have like a lot of locals come out to that show, I guess like looking back would have would have been a decent one for you guys on that run, yeah. And I remember it was a lot of fun. And like I think you know, 
at that time like you guys were like the first band i listened to that i actually met in person back then and that was a huge deal for me and like i remember like yeah it was it was a fun night yeah and now you're like now you're like uh interviewing matt Pryor from the get up kids would you ever <laughs> imagine that look at that <laughs> that's true that's cool i looked at the uh, i looked at the website you got um you you have a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of really good artists you've been able to nail down and, and interview. Yeah, it's a, you're definitely a moment of time because looking at it, I'm like, oh, well, we did shows with Mest and Show Off <laughs> and yeah. Get Up Kids and Goldfinger um, and the Movie Life. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, oh, this is Alistair. It's like so I can see. And Josh Madden, he was always around. The funny awesome. thing about jo about Josh is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Josh, like my my friendship with Josh actually wasn't totally um, good. Charlotte, you know his his right. brothers and whatnot. Of course, of course. It was actually we were both living in. Well, I'm still in New York, but he was in New York at the time, and. We we were always going out um, to bars like, you know, it'd be like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And back in the day around that time, they'd always have like, like, I swear back in New York, what was it like? Oh, five through oh, eight, maybe or oh, four to oh, eight. Every yeah. every freaking bar had an open bar from like, OK, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Open Svedka vodka bar. So, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid in New York City, and you have no money that's the best thing in the world. You go out drinking and you go hard for that one hour. And I always, you know, that's where like, that's the kind of place, you know, either uh, Josh or I would be DJing one of those silly old <laughs> bars at that oh, time. Okay. So we became yeah. friendly, unrelated to, uh, to, to punk music. Well, wow. Okay. Are you still in touch with him? Not so much. You know, it, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not in touch with anybody, at least in person during quarantine. Of but, course, um, yeah. But it, you know, that's one of a lot of these people. You you shared so many memories with them. The moment that you see them at a show, um, at a bar, or connect, or, or for some reason need to connect online about something, um, it's no time passes. It just this the, the the light switch flips and like it's it's as if you just you know you talked to them three days ago versus you know six years ago. What well, what about the rest of the the midtown guys? Do you do you keep in touch with them on a regular or? Uh... Yeah, actually kind of do yeah we actually do stay in touch um and even more recently it's it's real interesting it's like now that we're all grown up and have uh real jobs um we we you know you you're a different person right you know when you're in a van and you're touring america or you're you're or, or, or utrecht uh <laughs> <laughs> um you know, you're just like the the goofiest, biggest morons with each other, saying the dumb, dumbest stuff all the time. And, you know, I'll text with these the old Midtown guys all the time. And we are still the biggest group of numb nuts you could ever <laughs> imagine. Like the most disturbing, ridiculous memes that you see online. The only person I can share these things with and they share them back to me are my old bandmates. So it's <laughs> as if again no time has passed and it gives you that opportunity to be the ridiculous you know 21 year olds we were back then sure i guess uh yeah i guess we want to probably get into that a little bit um at some point um <laughs> so i mean what i mean I, I guess what's what's things like in new york at the moment then bit of a ghost town i guess really is it or? 
Man, not even close. Um, really? I, you know, I think I think it's easy for for governments um, or the news for ratings or for politicians desires to spin things a certain way in their personal interest. Um, if you're going to be out in Brooklyn or Manhattan at any of the parks um, on the weekend, it is packed because it's still summer. It, we're now in September and it's cooling down a little bit. Yeah. Um, New York's awesome. Uh, it's not a ghost town. Um, certainly some people have fled, as they say, you know, a lot of people talk about that. But at the same time, like, you know, musicians have been going to L.A. from New York. It feels now for the last 10 to 15 years, you just keep hearing about, oh, this person's moving, this person's moving. And then, you know, what? some people move back. And truth is, if people are living in New York, what it's going to do, it's going to lower the rent so everybody can move back in. It happened in the early 2000s. It mm-hmm. happened in 2008 when the market crashed. And it'll probably happen again. It's, it's, it's a natural cycle, but it's, it's more fun of a story for people to say New York is dead. Like that's something you're going to read. You're not going to read. Hey, people are going to leave and come back. So, <laughs> right. But uh, where is yeah, it? if you yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was, where is it? Your base is it Brooklyn? Yeah. So I've been in Brooklyn for 18 years. Wow. Um, okay. I yeah yeah yeah. I never for, for whatever reason I never ended up living in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've been yeah. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with Brooklyn, but um, you've probably heard of Williamsburg. So yeah. if if not from the uh, famous, not so famous uh, Armor for Sleep song <laughs> um, called Williamsburg. But uh, it's it's uh, so Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Park Slope. Those are all places I've lived in Brooklyn. But, uh, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, like to, you know, give it a tough time because I'm sure, you know, people are like, oh, shortage. All the hipsters live in shortage, you know, in <laughs> yeah. the UK. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like, but I'm sure shortage is probably a, a fun place to live and be around and yeah it's probably not, it's probably also not a lot of hipsters you know right well well i i'm a geordie so i'm from the northeast of england and when i go and visit chris in shoreditch there's a lot of hipsters in shoreditch <laughs> so you're getting both the the inside perspective and the outside perspective of that right there Rob. I, I think i've aged out of the term hipster <laughs> what age can you know can you not even be considered to be made fun of in any way shape or form for that and just be now you can just be old yeah so. it's true i think i think sort of 35 <laughs> onwards which i think all the three at least the three of us here are definitely past that point oh my god okay so uh, last night i was texting with um brendan from the band valencia oh yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh we, we were going back and forth about an idea um, about, oh, my God, what if there was like a documentary or a mockumentary, you know, sort of like Spinal Tap. But even better, there's this movie called Anvil, which is about this Canadian metal band that's mm-hmm. still going today. And they had done shows with like, I think Molly Crew or Guns N' Roses or those type of bands or Metallica. Yeah. I, I think like like guys from Metallica are actually interviewed in this documentary. And they're what, they're probably pushing 60 now. And there's, there's, they still haven't made it. And they're still trying. And they still have their jobs on the side. And it's, what if we did that? Like, what if there was an like an emo band with dudes in their forties, <laughs> and like the premise is all that, and like 
you see them getting all ready to go on stage before a show, like at a bar where there's 40 people, but you see them like flat ironing their hair, trying to <laughs> get their tight pants like over their, you know, hips because they're just so tight now. Uh, and like a little bit of beer belly. So they look more like a Mr. Potato Head with the stick figure legs. Than, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I was like, wow. That, I, and we're like, oh my God, that's a great idea. And then we're thinking, we're probably the only two people that are going to really understand and appreciate and get the humor behind all of this. So, but uh, yeah. So speaking of old people and emo, that's all I got for you. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you real quickly about um, this, that little sort of Twitter and Instagram thing you're doing, the bodega cats. Like I didn't know about that. And then just like getting ready for this. Like I, I, I saw that and <laughs> I mean, I'll let you talk about it, but it's just crazy the amount of followers it has. And it's a cool little thing. Um, how did that come about? Yeah. So uh, I guess for anybody listening um, randomly, uh, I started a um, an Instagram and Twitter account uh, about seven year or so years ago. Okay. Uh, and it's called Bodega Cats of Instagram on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's just the word Bodega Cats followed by an underscore. So bodega cats underscore. And what basically happened was, is uh, I was out late one night, I, whether I was DJing, going to a club, maybe I had just seen your friend, Josh Madden. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I walked into a, a bodega uh, in New York, a corner store, like a corner deli, you know, they may have, you know, some canned foods, batteries up on the wall, but they might also have, you know, a place that historically New Yorkers would go to to get a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich, even though I don't eat bacon, egg or cheese, um, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, where you where you go into the where you go into the deli, it's called a bodega. It's just, you know, it's just part of when you grow up in New York or live in New York for a number of years. It's just it's what they call it. And uh, I saw a cat and I'm like, you know, I saw I, I've I've seen this before. I didn't think too much about it previously, but this is great. So. Um, I, uh, you know, maybe I had a little too much to drink that one specific night and, um, I'm like, okay, Instagram had just come out. Let me post it to Instagram. My friends really liked it. And the photo I was like, oh, that's funny. I guess my friends like cats more than they like me because <laughs> they're liking that photo a lot more. So I'm like, you know, it might be interesting. Let me just see if I create an account for this, because I think if it's going to make my friends happy, it might make a lot of other people happy. So I started the account. <laughs> just started posting, you know, like once or twice a day, whatever. And then people started uh, sending me photos. So I'm like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just post their photos and start tagging them, giving them credit. So I started doing that. And I'm like, you know, and then I thought about it in the way that, you know, I had always thought about music and being in a band where, um, especially more specifically, I guess, a punk band, because when you're in a punk band, you always think, okay, well, yeah, it'd be awesome to be successful, but maybe I can do something positive with that influence um, while being successful. And that's why you see, you know, uh, if, if a band does have like whether they're going to do a show for free to help a charity, whether they're going to donate a portion of their uh, merchandise to um, to some sort of organization or just even simply support positive causes and direct people to certain causes or GoFundMe's whether it's in their liner notes. We used to do that a lot in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. Artists would put, okay, you know, um, you know, follow, uh, you know, here's the link to PETA or whatever yeah. animal rights group or, yeah. um, you know, uh, anti-racist action, which was, a, which, which was another group 
Um, I think, you know, Mike Park did a lot of tours with them, with his Asian Man records, things mm -hmm. like that, uh, if I recall correctly. And like the bands would put that in their liner notes. So there was always this other thought of, okay, yeah, this is cool and this is fun and it's making people happy and it's great, like what we're doing, but how can you also do something positive with that? So, um, and, 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 and that was always very important to me, not just, you know, with music or this, you know, social media, but also just, just in life in general. So I was like, well, maybe I can create a web store and if people buy the merchandise of Bodega Cat stuff, um, then maybe there's certain causes I could, I could take that money and take that, you know, income, um, the, I should say the profits and be able to, uh, you know, work with organizations, whether it's through specifically giving them funding or, or social posting for them to help bring awareness to them. So one of so 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 i put up the web store and you know it's not like selling a ton of merch but it is bringing in a tiny bit of revenue which sure, i can actually yeah. use and i write checks out to these other organizations and one of them is called flatbush cats and it's an organization that go that goes out to help control the feral cat population in new york city specifically right. flatbush brooklyn but they're not only relating to that so the idea here is when you're in New York, if, you, if there's all these cats running around and they don't get fixed, TNR, they do TNR, which stands for trap, neuter, return. So they'll get the cat fixed and then they'll put the cat, they'll, they'll put the cat back into the population. But now the cat, the cat can't reproduce. So you've mm -hmm. done a, a very humane way of controlling the cat population here in New York City. And it's not it's not just the New York City thing, the idea of TNR. Um, so this organization not only you know shares its stories of what they do, um, they also do training on it for how other people can do it. Um, and a lot of times they get these cats and the cats are sick. So the funding a lot of times goes to the doctor's bills. Now, that's just one organization. Uh, there's an organization I actually met, I physically met with last night called Greenpoint Cats, which is in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of the things they've done, which I think is really great, that directly relates to what I do is they'll go into the bodegas, they'll talk to the owner or the manager or whoever's working uh, at the bodega that has a cat, that has a cat in this bodega. And they'll say, hey, listen, can we take the cat, get it fixed? And then we don't have to worry about it having babies in the basement or wherever. In the bodega right. so they're physically so that's another organization we work with that we donate money to and we'll be doing social posting with in the future to help bring awareness to them so they can help get more of these cats fixed so it's it's directly related related now for people who are like what the hell is a cat doing in a corner store <laughs> uh you know that are listening that are unfamiliar with anything that i'm talking about right now because <laughs> we've talked nothing about music only about cats and politics and covid so far <laughs> um <laughs> but uh, uh you have to think of it this way. You're in a metropolitan city. And um, what is maybe one of the best ways to control a mice, rat and cockroach population? Of course. Yeah, it's a cat. They have their like, primordial instincts from, you know, when they were scavenging the land, not uh, domesticated. So um, you have to so I, they look at it as like, what's going to be worse, a fine for cat droppings, I'm sorry, uh, roach, roaches, uh, rat or mouse droppings, or just a cat that's going to be clean. Yeah. It's got its litter box and the litter box is probably in the base, whatever. So, 
um, the risk the risk versus reward there for them is the cat. And my God, who doesn't love walking into a store and seeing something familiar and sweet like a cat? So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the basic story behind Bodega Cats. It started out as something to make you know just I wanted to make my friends happy, and it turned into something where I can actually um, you know help a cause and help do something positive. So, and I'm also open to ideas uh, to work together with uh, people if they have other ideas of maybe it, maybe at some point it could extend beyond just the you know uh, helping fund uh, cat rescue organizations to more social justice or ways to work together with the owners of the bodegas that may be um, having hardships in certain ways. So, um, but I I don't make any money off of it. I've been doing it for free out of yeah. my own time for a number of years. So uh, kind of to go real deep uh, in any other form, I uh, would, would probably need to, to, to work with some other organizations and people directly to, to put some of that legwork. You've definitely got a base there. I'm just looking now, two, almost 280,000 followers on that. On that on Instagram. Yeah, that's amazing. I noticed um, Boyd Hilton, who's like a, a one of the really famous sort of TV critics and stuff here in the UK. I noticed he follows it, which <laughs> I thought was quite random. Yeah, um, it it is funny. I I have noticed a, a few a few people. I was like, oh, it's like the 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 funniest of recent times. The funniest yeah. one for me is. Do you know who Mary Trump is? Mary Trump. She's not the one who wrote that um, the thing about Trump recently, like Tr- Trump's niece or anything, is she? It's Trump's niece. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know she released a book, like you know, about what he was really like and stuff growing up. Yeah, I, I she like she, she. I was like one day I was like looking at something. And it said oh, Mary Trump follows Bodega Cats, <laughs> Bodega <laughs> Cats on Twitter. So I was like, oh my god, like, that's mad. But that, that, that's not uncommon. So, but like you know, like I said, it's like life is tough right now for everybody. Whether mm-hmm. it's you know jobs, financially, things, you know, being quarantined or or just working from home. And, and not leaving your front door for 48 to 72, 72 hours at a time. If there's anything, you know, I can do that can bring, you know, just general people happiness. I'm hoping that this is maybe just one speck of, uh, of making somebody's day 0.5% happier. Nice. 0.05. Well, 0.5%. That would be good. That's 0.05. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, New York, I mean, as you talk about it there, it seems kind of really ingrained in you from a community perspective and just i guess home perspective is is that is that where you grew up i mean what was i mean what was your kind of upbringing like um from a from a young age in 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 music i guess as a as a young yeah yeah so i uh i was on the east coast since i was about three years old or so and uh moved to jersey new jersey at like four and a half and new jersey is really where i grew up, I should say, did all, like I was in school the entire time I had any sort of schooling um, other than my recent coding boot camp was in New Jersey. And right. um, living, I think because those were my most formidable years, um, they were really the most influential on me and my life. So the interesting thing about Jersey is even though it's suburbs for the most part, it's also, I think it's the most densely populated state in all of America. So what does that mean? You get, you're in a melting pot. You get a lot of influences around you, a lot of different cultures, um, and a lot of, a lot of information as well. Like 
so put aside the fact that, you know, when I was growing up and getting into music, the internet was, you know, had, had just started, uh, at least in terms of punk music, um, for me, uh, you know, you, you had a lot of information, you had a lot of towns you could drive to that were close. And I think because of that, if you were to find a band you liked, right? Like in New Jersey, let's just as an example, there was a New Jersey band called the Bouncing Souls and we were all into them in 1993 when they had just, you know, when they were first starting to put out their, you know, less, their less reggae funk stuff or their less funk stuff, I should say. And their more yeah. punk hardcore stuff. Um, you know, there was like me and eight friends in my high school that liked, like loved them. I shouldn't even say like loved them. Right. And then right. we would see they were playing at this local, you know, venue called City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey. So we would go. Okay. And then all of a sudden, we just met the other group of eight people from the town sure. that might yeah. be 25 minutes away. So okay. all of a sudden, yeah. we've built this web and this network of people who aren't like the jocks or the right. nerds or the student council kids or whatever you want to call them. Um, in high school, we found the other us. So because right. of you know maybe New Jersey being that close together, it was like, okay, so you hear the word scene all the time mm -hmm. uh, without even thinking about it. That's how that quote unquote scene starts. And then you realize you're in a band and then, you know, a few kids from that, that group of eight are in a band. And then you're like, Hey, um, we're going to do a, you know, a show in, you know, at Tyler's high school gym. Do you want to play the show? And then they're like, yeah, that'd be great. And then they're like, Hey, our dad is part of this VFW thing. And we're going to put a, which is just like a, a war veterans group, but they have these, um, they have these, you know, like congregations and they, you know, these, these, these outposts all over America. Right. Right. And they usually have like little halls that can hold, you know, anywhere from 200 to, you know, six, seven, 800 people. So then they may be like, well, we just played your high school. Do you want to come play our VFW? And they're putting the shows on themselves. There's like, it's not like, you know, there's some promoter or somebody like trying to get, you know, get, get rich quick scheme going on. Right, so right. that's how the scene started that we were part of. But it wasn't just, hey, this is awesome. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're starting bands and knowing these things. They may be like, hey, uh, remember that band Operation Ivy? They just started this band called Rancid. You should check it yeah. out. So now yeah, you don't yeah. only have your own personal influence in New Jersey of your close friends. Now you have all these other friends. And then yeah. another kid that may be two towns away instead of one town away uh, you meet you meet this person like, hey, why don't you send me your upcoming shows? I just built a website that's listing all the New Jersey shows. So okay. all of these little things are super connected. And I think, you know, they all play a super important part of why and how so, so much music became so important in this scene um, sure. coming out of New Jersey. In, okay, that, so, so that was that kind of like the beginnings of, of of it being created for, you know, all the all the bands that came out of that that area yeah, I guess in the late 90s doubt. I guess like who are all like similar age to you and stuff I suppose yeah mid late 90s because because for whatever reason the idea of people putting on their shows to such extreme like like you know bands putting on their own shows I think in the, in the 80s you were like well you go play CBGB's or you go play you know whatever club in New York and it yeah. was more about the club life there was just a perception that you didn't you didn't do it yourself. There was there was that perception where 
once you saw how the model of doing the shows yourself work or your friends put on the shows or anybody yeah. from the age 14 to 22 were the ones putting on all the shows that you were performing in high school and college. Yeah. That was the standard versus the exception and going to play the club would be like, well, you got to pay the toll to get into New York. You got to beg the promoter to get on the show. You're probably going to mm -hmm. play first. So this was perfect. So yeah, I can see how it grew. So at, at this point, was that when you were in, because you were in the Scar Band earlier on? Was this, this, was this, was this <laughs> the Scar Band I usually don't tell people time? about that. It was, <laughs> it was both, for sure. Yeah, so okay. uh, I was in a, I was, when I was in high school, um, yeah, I st it's funny, I, I'll still text, whenever I see an old flyer, I'll, I'll text the, 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 the guys from my ska band uh, and send it to them. But yeah. uh, uh, ska was real big, 94, 95, 96. Uh, if anybody was born at that time, they, they might remember, you know, it's right when Real Big Fish and Goldfinger launched and there was a, a ton of other bands. It was kind of like, I feel like there was this little moment where um, uh, Big Band and Swing had a moment in the early 90s. If you remember bands like Cherry Pop and Daddies, Squirrel Nut yeah. Zippers and whatnot. But that music was so specific and it was it was like just that. There was no like kind of other version of Big Band or Swing. But when, so then people are like, well, you know what? With ska, you can do like traditional ska, pop punk ska, mm -hmm. ska core, you know, all these dumb names and ridiculous things that were going on. So I think that's why ska was able to have this, you know, more appealing, you know, casting a wider net in terms of fans and, and kids wanting to play it. So whatever, I had uh, I had this band called, well, this is basically the, the story with this band. Um, you know, we were very local. However, we played with a ton of hardcore bands, uh, a yeah. ton of pop punk bands. Like we played, like one of our local New Jersey bands was called Bound, uh, X Bound X. And we played within their basement all the time. They were, you know, some of our really great friends. And uh, the singer one day, he's like, hey, I just uh, I just I just went down to Philly and tried out for this new band with the guitarist from Lifetime. And now I'm the singer of the band called Kid Dynamite. So oh, like, okay. yeah, yeah. it's just like it's just like how it was back then, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the 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 really thing I'm the, the bad thing I'm guilty of with this ska band isn't isn't the isn't the silly music isn't any of that stuff. Well, um if you recall the thing about being in a ska band when you're real young is putting the word ska in the band name you know what i'm talking about i think so i'm trying to think of some examples but um or you could put the word tones in it like the skeletons yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Bo there's a band tones. called the scofflaws the boss tones yeah there's a band called mephiscopheles um all right, those sorts okay. of things yeah 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 so so that was a really big thing so the singer, he came up with the best, but also the worst ska band name of all time. It was called The Ska Skank Redemption. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you get the ska and you get the skank. So it's like a two. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 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 so the thing about that was like, we knew it was bad, but it was also genius. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, if we're ever... And this is me talking and like, you know, I'm a freshman in college at this point because we were abandoned high school and then I went to college. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I could see that ska was kind of like on the way out. Like just people weren't as into it anymore. And yeah. I saw that um, 
I was like, if anybody was, would ever take us seriously, how can you take a band called Scott Skank Redemption seriously? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happened was we got a show at Rutgers with uh, Less Than Jake. So right, Rutgers okay. was where we went to school. So, so I'm like, okay, I, I put my foot down. I'm like, hey, if we're going to have a shot, it's not too late. Trust me. Nobody knows who we are. Like, don't tell me that we've already established ourselves as Scott and Redemption. We need to go on stage at the show, ch- tell them we're changing our name to, to a new band name. And we, we, we called ourselves the royalties, like a music royalty, because yeah. we were like anti-major label, you know, DIY, all that kind of stuff. Right, so, right. So, we, so we played that show and we ended up um, changing the band name. We did like eight more shows and then we broke up. So it was like, it was all not, it was all worth nothing. But uh, that was kind of the history of that ska band. But, but, but there was actually two shows that we played that that ska band played where I did double duty because I had started Midtown at the end of uh, the royalties at the end of ska. Oh, okay. Redemption. So it was like a slight overlap then. There was an overlap where I did. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever even consider doing two shows again in my life in one, one day um, okay. with the exhaustion. But yes, yeah, so there was two shows where, where, where we did uh, we did. We, I did a, a show with the royalties and a show with Midtown. I think one of them, the, the first one, I think the, the royalties actually played after Midtown and the second one, Midtown played after the royalties. So it was kind of one of those fun little scenarios in life. But what is nice is um, a lot of those bands from back then, like there wasn't a, like animosity in terms of the, in terms of that. Maybe some of the royalties guys were bummed, but in terms of like mm-hmm. human to human, um, it was nice that the the guys in Midtown and the royalties knew each other and could say positive things about each other. So that made me happy. Is it a, is it a bit of a drummer thing as well? I always feel like drummers are more often shared amongst bands than any other member of a band, just because there's not many good drummers around. <laughs> I you know I never thought of that, but you're so right. <laughs> I never even considered that. That's a really good point. Um, I think we were just, they were just a bunch of good people in general. So I guess fast forward a little bit then with, with, with Midtown that came together at that, at that time, um, kind of what was the, the early journey that led kind of to, you know, it really becoming a, you know, a real, you know, getting, building some steam and really becoming a thing. Yeah. It actually leads directly into that. So, cool. you know, being in that band with seven band members, like to get anybody to practice you mm. felt like you were their boss oh my god that might, that would have been a nightmare because all i wanted to do was you know give a hundred percent into this and see what could what we could make of it where we were like <laughs> i remember in high school we had this sax player and he's like we're gonna practice i spoke to my dad and you need to pay me 15 dollars every time i come to practice i'm like who is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? He was so, <laughs> right. because, because if you're a scum band, like, how do you find a damn horn player? You go in the hallway, the hallway in, in high school and, and you try to find the band, the band kids, right? I wasn't a band kid. Yeah. I should have yeah. been, I would have been a much better drummer. But, but so like, oh, he plays sax. Um, let's just ask him. He plays trumpet. Let's just ask him. So that's what, that's what you had to do as a ska band in, in high school. Cause typically, it's hard to find any kids that understand punk music and listen to it. So, um, so I was, so, so my point is, is like trying to make that happen and, and just like not enjoying the music as much anymore. Like I knew the music I loved, whether it was like lifetime 
Bouncing Souls, Rancid, Operation Ivy, Jawbreaker, Saves the Day, all that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was in love with it. I wasn't even listening to any ska music other than like the old 60s uh, traditional music or rock right, study from right, the 70s, yeah. things like that. So I was like, so, so that ska band played a million shows with uh, Gabe, my singer of Midtown's first band, Humble Beginnings. Humble Beginnings, uh, yeah. Tyler and Heath's band, Nowhere Fast. Like, like we all knew each other because, like I said, is they were that group of eight kids in the other town, and then yeah. those few those guys had the band. So that's how we got to know each other. And I was like, well, listen, nobody wants to practice. Why don't I try to like be in a band with the guys that are like me? in the other bands in the other towns because they'll actually care want to practice maybe go on tour and do something positive with all this hard work we're putting into it right and i you know i had spoken with gabe are you happy with your band because i'm not happy with my band and this isn't you know it's not fun for me anymore like maybe you want to jam together or something like so that's that's how that's how midtown started like i had met gabe when we were kids through a, a, a campmate of mine, you know, yeah. um, who happened to be the singer of his band, of his pop punk band. So we became friendly and, uh, and, you know, and then we actually um, ended up going to Rutgers together. So uh, when we were at Rutgers, we're like, well, you know, we had met up with our friend Tyler, um, who was in Nowhere Fast, and we asked him to join. Mm -hmm. He was the singer of Nowhere Fast. And, and and he had a guitar player in his band named Heath, who was just the nicest guy ever. and yeah. um, But also one of the best shredders guitar wise. Still to this day, I think I've ever I've ever come across. He's just oh, nice. like nice. in all these years. Yeah, he's still one of the best guitar players. Like, yeah. And I, and I think that's like that's common knowledge. It's not just, you know, just because I was close to he's just really the greatest. And um, uh, so the three of us had started Midtown while while I was at Rutgers and Gabe was at Rutgers. I don't know if yeah. Tyler might have been still a senior in high school at that time. And uh, we kind of coerced Heath uh, to to be in the band with us because he had he has a great voice. Um, he was a shredder on guitar. Didn't you just kind of say, oh, we've got to practice. Do you want to just come along and hang out and with, with the secret intention of trying to get him to join? Yeah, we didn't formally ask him to be in Midtown. We came up with a scheme to kind of squeeze him into the band without him knowing. Yeah. So at at Rutgers University, where we were at school, they have these things called the grease trucks, which at the time there was eight. Before like um, food trucks were a thing, specifically Rutgers had these eight trucks that formed like a. They actually formed like kind of like a figure eight. They were in groups of four, a square of four, and a square of four. Right. And we're like Gabe and I formed a plan with Tyler that Gabe and I would just happen to be there and Tyler <laughs> right. was going to hang out with Heath and kind of just happen to bring him to there as well. So Heath comes along. I think maybe Tyler's there with him and uh, me and Gabe are there waiting patiently. And we're like, Oh, what's up, Tyler? Heath, how you doing, <laughs> man? Like, what are you doing yeah, here? Yeah. So, totally like, you know, just scheming up this plan. We're like, Oh, we're actually uh, doing this, band thing Heath why don't you come over to the rehearsal space and watch us practice now the whole time the idea was to get him to be comfortable feeling like this was a thing he should be a part of sure. um, so we you know the way I envisioned in my head is we 
hogtied him and threw him in the trunk of the car, <laughs> you know, blindfolded him, <laughs> took him over to band practice, you know, threw him into the space and forced him to watch us rehearse. But no, he just went in the car and followed us there. But uh, so, yeah, so we, we played like four or five songs. Um, and then we, he was kind of like in the corner and we're like, uh, so we think you should be in our band. And he had no clue at all we were going <laughs> to ask. He just thought <laughs> it was a hang. Yeah. Or maybe we're just showing him this this band we got. So that's uh and he's like, Yeah. And literally two weeks later, two weeks later, we go in to record our uh our first EP for Midtown and yeah. the dude is just like shredding all over it. It like he learned every song within two weeks and killed it and it really made a a, a big difference for our band. Was that um oh, what was it called? Sacrifice to Life or something? Was that that's right? Was that the, the sacrifice was that the first to life, one? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I feel like, I mean, this is me just going from memory, not my notes here, but like, so forgive me if I get things wrong, but I remember there was that song, Take the Easy Way Out, that was catchy, and then <laughs> there yep. was, was there one or two songs that made it onto that first full length on it as well? I could be wrong, this is... Yeah, there's, you know, yeah so, so Easy Way Out did not make it to Save the World as the Girl, our first yeah, album, Yeah, yeah. but uh, dir- the song Direction did make it. Is that one of Ty- who who sings on that one? Is that Tyler? That's right. Or- no, you're, you're yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I think, and there was another one of the fast songs. Uh, listen, bro, it's been over twenty years. I might need <laughs> yeah, to yeah. more Spotify. And I'll tell you something <laughs> nice about the CP in a minute, which I'm pretty stoked on. But um, so the sacrifice of life—that's me typing into Spotify. Um, <laughs> I love that. I remember putting that artwork together with Gabe and making that logo. We, we did the artwork together on that one. Um, the Living in Spite, I think we put that on. Was okay. that, yeah, was the sound save, save, save the World, Lose the Girl? I feel like it might have been. Yeah, so I guess Direction. Oh, come on. So, so oh, come on. okay, come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so come on a Direction we put on uh, Save the World, Lose the Girl yeah. um, from that EP. But a, a really quick story is our, our friend Jay, Pinball Records, um, he put out... Um, the sacrifice of life EP. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off, Rob. I just, 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 no, I just noticed now that it's it's released under your record label, which uh, that's what I was about. Yeah, you just yeah, ruined yeah, the story. Yeah, sorry. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But what I was going to say is, so we bought the masters off Jay. I don't, right. I don't remember exactly the details, and then we were like, our friends at Eyeball Records, um, uh, they put out like the first Mike Chem. Number 12 Looks Like You, uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of other bands. And um, I was like, well, we're on tour all the time. You want to just like distribute it? Um, I love those guys, by the way. Let's just be clear. But I said, do you want to distribute it? And they said, yes. And then I was like, uh, so for a few years, they had it up online. They redid the artwork. They put up new artwork for it. They pressed a few CDs. Um, and then we were like, wait a second, we're not getting any royalty statements. So I was like, I, I said, I said, Hey, Mark, can we just, can I take this back? Because technically we own it and we haven't gotten paid and put it on my label. And they're like, Oh yeah, of course, you know, sure. Um, so that allowed me to take something that was Midtown's that was ours and release it personally. And I know it's an EP and it's a nothing thing from back in the day. And it's, you know, one of the small things that we ever did, but there is something that that feels real good about having control uh, on the music that you you actually make and that you put out. So um, that was one of the fun things for me post Midtown that I was able to do 
um, that makes me still still feel close to, uh, to everything we work on. So technically, I am the record label, and I do write checks to, uh, <laughs> to Midtown Midtown Band LLC for nice. you know for five dollars and eighty three cents once a year to these guys. <laughs> so. So we're, we're rich, clearly. I was just going to say, yeah, going back to obviously progressing into kind of Save the World, Lose the Girl, obviously that was released um, on drive through. I mean, talk us through that that initial, um, I guess, you know, how that, how the drive through relationship came about and um, how, that's, how that kicked off, I guess, really. Yeah, and then obviously yeah. the ups and downs, but I suppose we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's real funny. That same, that, that same grease truck parking lot that i was telling you we abducted heath air quotes abducted heath um that that if i recall correctly is the first or second time that i actually met um stephanie and i think richard too from drive through records i remember (laughs) this is how ridiculous it was this is a very true story uh stephanie was very proud because I guess she had just taken a shit and the shit looked like Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. I remember, I remember reading, I remember reading that you'd saying this in an interview years ago. (laughs) Okay. So at least I'm not making this up because I feel like sometimes I repeat these things that are facts from past, but they actually sound made up. So she pulls out a Polaroid of her shit that looks like Jerry Garcia. I don't remember if it did or didn't look like it. I didn't want to look very long. It was one of those. Yeah, of course. I feel know, like if your... it did look like him, you would have remembered. <sighs> no, I don't. I don't want to remember anything. I would know. No. I'm the, because because listen, if you're looking at something in a toilet, you don't want to look very long. Like you and and, and of but, not. <laughs> but moreover, to try to look at that and try to make out the facial features from you know this art masterpiece, clearly, um, you're not. Uh, it's not for me. How about that? Let's put it that way. It's, it's not for me. <laughs> so. But uh, yeah, so what was I saying? Yeah, so, so, but so well, how we actually met Richard and Stephanie is uh, I think they were interested or friendly with Humble Beginnings, Gabe's band. Okay. And uh, Gabe told them, hey, I have this thing Midtown. And I remember very clearly, uh, we were excited about it. Um, because they were friends with Blink, they had released uh, Phoenix TX or River Phoenix or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we really liked what they were doing. This is all pre Newfound Glory and all that stuff of course. on Drive Through, and uh, and uh, we're recording that EP where I said, "Hey, Heath was in the band two le- two weeks later. He's shredding on this EP." It was literally at that time in that same studio, uh, Portrait Studios, with this guy Chris Badami, a producer, recorded it. Um, where we were, I think at this point we were mixing or had at least finished recording the songs. Gabe's talking to them, gave me the phone to Richard and Stephanie. Yeah. And I remember we were physically holding up the phone receiver, like a physical phone receiver, pre-cell phone, um, to the speakers. And I, I feel like the speakers were in the air, right? So like, you know, sometimes they put them in the corner of, of, the, of the studio. And, and, and they're like, cool, we want to sign you. We're like, what? <laughs> like, like through the phone <laughs> okay. like that. So um, obviously signing a band is a little more in depth when you have contracts and all that kind of stuff. But that's how our initial, like the day one of sort of like making something serious with drive through happened. That was the day one. And then we met them at the grease trucks. Um, 
you know, I think we got our friend's non-entertainment attorney to look at the contract, which they told us was like, yeah, we got a contract from Fat Records and we changed a few things and that's our drive-through contract. So that's what they gave us. Um, and then um, we actually signed that contract on our way out to recording our first album with drive-through, our full length, Save the World is mm -hmm. the Girl. But the tour, because for us, it didn't make sense if we had a van and a trailer to drive straight out to LA. Let's see if we can put some shows together along the way. So at that point, we had become friends with Newfound Glory. Right. You know, yeah. and whether it was emailing, but also Gabe's brother put on shows at those, what I called VFW halls, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we also, they, they call them uh, VFW halls, American Legions, or another version. Um, Elks Lodges or another version. They're basically all this, this, the same idea of war veterans. They have these groups where they, they hang out together and barbecue right, and okay. put on events. And uh, so, so uh, uh, Gabe's brother, Ricky, put on so many shows, he would basically have Newfound Glory come up to New Jersey to play shows. And let's okay, oh, let's trade shows. So on our way out. So, so well, first of all, we became friends with them. So then we let drive through be like, hey, you got to hear this band Newfound Glory. Yeah, They're yeah. great. You got to sign them. So that's how we met Newfound before they were involved with drive through. Yeah. And then when we went down to California, I'm sorry, to to Florida on the way to California, they had us play a show at one of their friends skate parks. OK, so we did that show with them. But when we physically signed that drive through contract, it was in this hotel room in Florida. Well, we sign the contract. We walk out of the hotel room. Newfound Glory walks into the hotel room, drive throughs hotel room, and then they sign their contract. So technically, <laughs> we were signed to drive through before Newfound Glory. Just, just before, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that, but it's a really cool thing because they've done really well, and you know they, you know, they meant a lot to a lot of people's lives. So it's kind of, kind of cool to to see how a lot of these things from back then you can never imagine today how closely interconnected and related they were that first record was that what they got you uh, mark trombino on that you know i think one of the interesting things about life is if if you just don't consider something and never ask then mm -hmm. you don't even have a shot at it even if it seems like a pipe dream sure um you got to think about this this time it's summer 1999 and we were thinking about producers late 98 early 99 um, damn it. The dude ranch was out by blink 182, 182. Mm -hmm. Um, for people like us, it was the biggest thing in the entire world for, you know, like punk kids in the, the mid late nineties. Yeah. Um, and we loved that, but moreover from a, from a physical production standpoint, Mark Trombino had done all the Jimmy world stuff and we were just obsessed with clarity. Clarity is one of those, those albums you could play in the van and you might keep on two to three listens in a row. Yeah. And just the audio, the record, it just, it sounded so good. So we're like, okay, who are our dream producers? And like at the top of our list was Mark Trombino. So I guess drive throughs friends with Jimmy Eat World. So they're friends with Mark Trombino and they asked him and Mark's like, cool. Take a few days, record this quick punk band. Yeah. You know, and yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. because for him, it would be a quick, easy thing. He heard the demos and he liked the demos. Well, 
<laughs> what he didn't know is that this quick little punk band, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe the drummer wasn't as good as the drummer thought he was because he had never played to a click <laughs> before. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. the band was very specific and critical, or maybe Mark was like, well, let me just get this right because this could be awesome. So this, right. you know, 10 day thing that was supposed to be nine to 10 days to record ended up being two months in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, so, so we ended up and that was Save the World, Lose the Girl. Um, and that's how we got involved. And that's how we got Mark on board. And uh, Mark agreed to do our second album as well. Living Well is the best revenge. What, what, one yeah. thing I couldn't, I heard you say recently that I was surprised about was that you said you had to fight for the opening track, Just Rock and Roll, to basically even be on the album. Like, uh... Yeah, so... Yeah, I'll let you answer that and I'll, I'll come to my thoughts on that song, but yeah. Well, yeah, obviously anything is twenty twenty in hindsight after you're familiar with it, right? Yeah. But um, he wanted to have... So so I remember this clearly. Actually, I'm going to be unprofessional and look on my computer again. I'll tell you... Go on. this. Yeah, so this will be interesting for you. Um, we... Uh, okay, so there's this song called Another Boy on Save the World, Lose the Girl. Yeah, that's like the 30 second song or something, wasn't it? It's the, yeah. So, and yeah. I don't like, I don't, in, in general, I don't necessarily disagree with Mark on this in general. But yeah. he wanted that song to be first because if it's only 30 seconds, well, it's not going to waste any time getting the second to the second track. So you're not going to lose mm -hmm. any fans, right? And, yeah. um, and it's a fun little punk song to just get people like, okay, this is cool. And then, like, oh, wait, oh my God, this second song is so different. I was like, I get it, but have you ever heard a song start out with like three part vocal harmony, three kids scream or yelling it together in unison, like some old seventies rock song from kiss. Yeah. And yeah. what the hell does God, I wish I could hate you for the rest of my life. Even mean, if you hear that as an opening track on the album, whether you think it's terrible or great, you're going to, have some sort of interest to keep listening along to yeah, what this song yeah. is besides the fact that you know i that i think is actually just a really good song on its own right yeah. so but even yeah. take that out of the equation like that's the way to kick off an album if you want to like you know punch somebody in the face and be like you gotta listen to this and also people didn't really skip tracks and have that ability in the same way in 1999 or 2000 when it came out like they deal with Spotify or iTunes now, where it's just super easy. There was a lot of passive listening back then where you listen to yeah. all of it or you're going to take it out right away if you don't like it. Well, it's so. funny because like, I, I just think the intro to Just Rock and Roll just really grabs you. And I'll give you an example of how it does because you know, I, I had that record sort of in around autumn 2000. And I remember like I was talking to my buddy on the phone who lived at the other end of the country. And I was just like, oh, I've just been listen to this band Midtown and I just played him down the phone. That's the start of that song. And like before it even got to the, the, the you know, the first verse, he was just like, this is, this is amazing. And like, he like ordered the CD on, you know, like there and then. And like, it was like, you know, cause this was 2000. He, he ordered it to be delivered to like a specialist shop in Brighton where he lived. And they used to go every week to see if they had his Midtown CD, but it was just from hearing just the start of just rock and roll. So, you know, it, I think, Through the telephone. I think, yeah, exactly. But it's so just, cool. just, just because, like, what, what you say about it, just because it's, it's got that unique sound and it just draws you in. Do you, th do you think? Yeah, I, I guess from your experience, kind of with what artists are doing today, and you say that, like, we don't listen to music in the same way. We don't pick up records. We don't, you know, go through things like that. Do you think artists, like bands, are like 
approach things differently now or do they still have that consideration that you know you'd have before in terms of how you compile an album and where things sit within within your your track listings and stuff do you think there's still that yeah so the consideration is the consideration is certainly still there there's no there's no question at all and and, and i can say a lot of this stuff even though it's been a number of years from the bands i released on my record label but the difference is is the idea of having to go into record and having to do 10 to 12 songs is that's that's not necessarily the goal or objective any longer a lot of a lot of labels may feel that their goal and objective is to just this anytime you have a new song out let's get a single out let's just keep keep getting music out there in the ether you know like these major label yeah. people but um but even at that uh it's completely realistic to have an ep and that ep could be just as strong as an album in terms of like retention and what people are excited about and what they feel good about but moreover you know it's like when a song goes viral off TikTok, they're not looking at the album. They just hear one song um, and then, you know, that they, they get the next one. But I will say this. It is important because if you do find a song on YouTube or TikTok and or Shazam or whatever, and then you go to Spotify, the song that's going to play after better be damn good in that track listing because that's the song that that people are gonna they're gonna know you by after to, to decide if they want you as a fan they get you on the first song but if you want to make a fan that track listing of the song that comes up comes up right after it better be damn good cool I, I guess just going back to kind of um you know those first two albums and i guess i guess want to be keen to hear a little bit about how things were for you guys from a touring perspective and how crazy that got and how ready you were for for the acceleration i guess that that happened as a result like uh you know what was the you know how how did that feel for you at the time and um yeah it's <laughs> looking at yeah because you got put on some fairly big tours didn't yeah. you like um you know in the lead up to before before you released that the, the yeah. your sophomore release that when you got kind of upstream to mca like you i remember you guys like i'm sure you went out with like blink and people like that around that time so, um, I mean, that was by far the the biggest thing we had ever done. Um, you know, in terms of, and, and I'll get to that, but I think in terms of perspective um, of getting big quickly, it's interesting because remember we signed with Newfound Glory the same day Newfound Glory signed to drive through. So yes, we always had a we always had a barometer to look at. Oh, uh, maybe we're not doing that well, or we're not that big. Because even if we were doing well, we still saw Newfound Glory taking off, um, accelerating yeah. quite a bit faster. So what that did is that just pushed us to keep working hard and trying and, you know, giving it our best shot uh, and not letting off, you know, the gas pedal. So, yeah. but we did get really fortunate and really lucky, right? Uh, I, we were actually, while we, while we were recording, um, Living Well is the Best Revenge, our second full-length album. Um, mm -hmm. This was the album where Drive Through had upstreamed us yes. and said, "Hey, we're gonna. You're basically gonna, gonna graduate from Drive Through Records and put out your album on MCA Records, which gives you a little bigger budget. Gets you like you know, Drive Through isn't necessarily working um, all of the promotion and everything at that point. It's gonna yeah. be MCA. The, they're under. They were under Universal." Uh, 
Universal Records, uh, Universal Music Group before they went defunct. Now, um, because of all of that uh, and our management and our booking agent um, and all those relationships, um, what happened was is uh, end of that summer, um, we found out, hey, uh, Newfound is opening for Blink-182 in these arenas. This mm -hmm. was when like right, like the days that the days of uh, take off your pants and jacket by Blink-182 came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, why don't you open like nine or eight, eight or nine of these shows? Uh, and uh, the second half of it, some 41 is going to open. Of all things in the world, 9-11 happens, right? Which is yeah, timely yeah. because yesterday was actually September 11th. Um, and the uh, for a million reasons. And if, if you lived through it, uh, you can just remember how weird it was and how yeah, unexpected it was. And you didn't know what tomorrow was going to happen. We didn't know if there was yeah. going to be more terrorist um, you know, bombings and things like that. So they actually canceled and I don't remember if it's because they couldn't come across the border or if there was going to be issues at the border because of all of this going back and forth. Mm -hmm. But they canceled um, their opening spot. And Blink was like, hey, listen, we like you guys. If you want, you could fill up the rest of the shows whenever we decide to start doing these shows again. Because um, I think there might have been a, a hiatus of, of shows so, after September yeah. 11th. So yeah. it's really sad and unfortunate. Um but it was it, it ended up turning into one of the largest things of our career, even though it was an, only an extra like six or seven shows. Um, I, I still have friends today being like, oh, I saw you in Atlanta, Georgia with uh, with Blink-182. I was like, right. wow, crazy. So, yeah, it's one of those like bittersweet kind of kind of situations. But, yeah, it's just 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 ironic and interesting that that all that was like the, the timeline of events and how, yeah, how yeah, yeah. some 41 was involved and whatnot. Uh, so, yeah. So but that was definitely the, the biggest tour we ever did. Um, in terms of like stuff like Warp Tour, you know, we actually never were offered a full Warp Tour. In fact, we were never even offered half of a Warp Tour. Oh, I think really? the most we ever got offered by Kevin was um, two weeks. But, you know, with friends and other bands and everybody, they, they feel like, oh, yeah, Midtown, you were a Warp Tour staple. I'm like, no, I would have loved to have been. That would have been great. <laughs> Yeah, but that wasn't the case. Oh wow! Yeah. I've just sorry, sorry, Rob. I just remembered something. Um, so when go like real quick, going back to where, when when I met you guys in in Utrecht on that random night yeah. uh, in early two thousand and two, I remember talking to Ty. I think it was Tyler, and he was just talking about because that's you know when Blink had their all their clothing stuff like Atticus and Macbeth and all that stuff, and he was telling me and my friend alan who, who who are out there uh just about how you guys had been at a party at mark hoppus's house and he was showing all the latest designs for for atticus and uh and he was like and it's funny and like and then like, he pulled down his shirt and he had like the the broken heart atticus tattooed on his chest i remember oh randomly. my god i need and he was shit for that yeah and also and like we were just laughing just thinking oh that that's you know that that that's random and he was just like he's like yeah i don't even like this tattoo that much but you know whatever <laughs> okay. I just quite like this attitude. Wait, so you know it's funny because like there would no be no reason for me to think of that, but you experienced that. I'm gonna yeah. text Heath and Tyler right now. Tyler, do please. Do you have an Atticus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah do do that as you speak. And also just to add to that. So after that trip, like me and my friend, we just and like we didn't do this as like a cheesy, sincere thing, I promise. But we're just like, what if we both got that tattooed? Like, you know, because Tyler was just like had this, 
it was just this attitude where he's almost like laughing about it. If we did that too, and we were just like, we kind of talked ourselves into doing it. So we got the same tattoo after that encounter okay. with Tyler almost. Yeah. And then when you guys came and played Brighton, where we were living at the time, a few months later, like we were showing Tyler and like, and it was just, and we were all laughing about it. I promise it wasn't like a serious thing. Like, oh, we, let's get this broken heart in our arm. But so I, I, st- hey. I still have it. And it's from that. <laughs> You're not saying anything to embarrass me. You'd be embarrassing yourselves, and you got the. Same oh yeah, exactly. Too. Yeah, as yeah, some, yeah. As some guitar player from Midtown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no. Let definitely. me tell you this. Te- Go on. If he texts me a photo of it, you both need to take your photos and yeah. post yeah, it yeah. up on this, so everybody can see the the matching yeah, tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll promise to do that definitely. But yeah. yeah, no, send that to him for sure. We're kind of moving into the sort of murky period with 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 drive through because I, I remember like I, I guess going back to that night in Utrecht as well because Gabe came out for beers with us afterwards and after a few beers he started saying saying what he really thought of Richard and Stephanie from drive through and that was that was kind of the first time I was aware of like the issues you were having with them and I guess you kind of had like a sort of bumpy period with them from sort of 2002 onwards I guess yeah I think it's the typical story you hear with a lot of artists and record labels especially when an artist starts to take off but then you know might yeah. hit some kind of um leveling point uh and they're like well why is that leveling point happen well oh, obviously it's the record label so you know that's how the artist thinks um yeah. so you know it's a lot of things it was like hey what's up with our royalty rates and these expenses on our statements and are you even sending us statements and why aren't you giving us more uh finances for promotion um mm-hmm. you know on the album and on top of that, they're just some of the most highly um, opinionated people you'll meet. Um, right, it's because okay. they they are super passionate. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it's a lot of that. Um, the reasoning, you know, with with why I think we we had a lot of back and forth with them. Um, uh, I still talk to them all the time. Actually, not all the time, but you know, pre COVID, if they were to come to New York, we tried to, We would at least try to get lunch up. or dinner. Oh, okay. Um, so, you, so you, so you're good all these years later, then, basically. Oh yeah, and I, I think all of us. I don't think like even, uh, you know, I, I do. Gabe would be better to speak for whatever reason. My memory just maybe it shut down on the uh, on some of that that specific information, probably for a good reason. Um, to not, you know, to keep things positive of what yeah. all the things that transpired between us and drive through. But honestly, I don't see why. Like, listen you're young and and you're naive um everybody not even just us you know like even the label potentially and so it's kind of like um you just you just you live and learn and there's and why at this point it means nothing to our lives and our future and our livelihood of what a royalty meant from 2001 um because we're probably today it's probably making pennies anyways so so why why have the anger and the hate it just doesn't help anything okay. in anybody's life so uh, i bet everybody here would be happy more than happy to uh to see them randomly but um so obviously that that next album though um when when things were probably i suppose a bit raw like i heard you because i was listening to um the episode you did of this was the scene podcast which is a, mm-hmm. obviously a podcast that you know coming yeah our, our friend mike doyle from uh he was in a band a jersey band called lane meyer Lane Meyer. A little fun fact about them, Nick, if, if you don't know this, is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, it's like, I think Brian Fallon was in that band for a bit oh, really? before, obviously. He went yeah, he absolutely was. Fine fame yeah. uh, on, an, on another kind of level. But um, 
Yeah, like you you mentioned on that, that, that Vinny, um, obviously one of our previous guests, was uh, he was actually on the song Become What You Hate, but for reasons with the label that you couldn't have his vocals on, on the actual record. Is that right? Yeah, so we, you know, this was around the time when we were we were kind of going back and forth and at it with uh, with with drive through. Um, yeah. Now remember, this was going to be on the upstreamed MCA label, but because the movie life was on drive through, technically, drive through have the rights to say uh, one of their artists can be featured as a feature artist on another band's track. So. Um, Drive through felt that become what you hate was about them. I didn't write the song, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I, 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 I I'm sure. really like. I, I'm. Sure, I, I, listen, I'm sure it was about a lot of things and not just right. one thing. But um, uh, so so they said, hey, we think the song's about us. Uh, we're not gonna let Vinny be on the track, or let we're gonna somehow talk to you, MCA, and not let you release it uh, if if Vinny's on the track. So uh, Heath ended up recording the vocals um, that Vinny yeah. sang on the track. Uh, okay. Okay. So, how did um, I, I guess we kind of move into that um, that next album that you released on Columbia? Um, kind of how how was that received? Because it was quite a, quite a big shift in style, a little bit from from obviously become what you hate. Um, what was what was driving some of driving some of that? Yeah. So we were actually in a really um, peculiar place with record labels at that point. We were, as we said, we were on MCA Records, Universal Music Group. Um, and what happened with MCA at that time was they got, they got like completely shut down. So Universal Music Group, they had a ton of labels, right? They had Universal Records, they had Motown Records, um, all, all sorts of, you know, records. Suretone, I guess, was one they, they created. Yeah. Um, Gaffin Records, all of these were under Universal Music Group. Now, what ends up happening is they say, you know what, we're shutting down MCA. So any artists on MCA, the other labels, legally, they can fight with each other and decide which artists they want. And then I guess someone at Universal decides if they allow that artist to be on Gaffin or Universal or Motown or Suretone or whatever it is. So a lot, I'm sure a lot of that's shared resources at the label. But that's not even the point. So the problem was is none of those labels picked up Midtown when MCA went defunct. Mm. But we're signed to MCA. How do you put out a record when you're on the record label that doesn't exist and none of those record labels under the universal umbrella pick you up? So I think that really stifled our career. And I think that is really the, the initial moment of where everything happened what it probably did is it delayed us putting out an album for maybe a year and a half later than we would have and then when that amount of time passes what ends up happening is well not only that time passed for a lot of reasons because of that well that means we have to figure out a way we had to find new management that new management helped us get us out of uh, universal records and then finally we could go through that that major label process or that just any record label process of figuring out who we want to assign to, like sign 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 with next. So all of that takes a lot of time. And at that point, when you're when you're getting close to two years after the fact, your musical chase, tastes start to change. Yeah. So when you have that much time in between, there's no bridge, there's no gap from your previous music to this new style of music you're playing. 
and that really freaks out fans and and makes them you know they're very uncertain for what they were to what would expect from you as an artist so um i think at that point we eventually signed to columbia records we put out that album but it didn't sound like living well is the best revenge and it didn't sound like our first album save the world is the girl and i think i think that hurt us significantly was was that pretty much good to go then whilst uh, was that all kind of done and dusted and written before the point where you'd actually figured out label shit and got that sorted was had you already kind of worked on that and um changed that direction and were just waiting for yeah for uh, the more the formalities to be figured out so when we first um when we first signed with the new management company which is crush music which is wow since then they've really <laughs> they've really done some great things <laughs> yeah, um yeah. you know they, they now they manage weezer and green day and lord and sia yeah. and, uh, i mean the list goes on and on but uh they uh back then it was like us fallout boy which was still young days for fallout boy sure yeah. um you know there was uh um yeah i don't even think they had gym class heroes yet and they did not have panic yet um but yeah maybe they had gym class but either way um uh so they managed this artist producer named butch walker oh yeah and yeah Butch Walker, as a producer, done you know some some cool stuff, but his band in the '90s was this power pop band called Marvelous. the Marvelous. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Marvelous yeah. Three. Yeah, yeah. So um, we knew, and I, I think you know, I, I think a lot of people in bands understand how talented he is, um, that he was a great producer, a great songwriter. So um, because of the relationship with Crush and Butch. Uh, it allowed us to go down to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, to his studio, and record "Forget What You Know" before we actually signed to a major label. So right. we could take that album and show it to major labels and say, "Hey, uh, if you like this and you still want to sign us, let's talk." And that's how we were able to sign to Columbia Records um, and have that completed album. Now, the positive of doing that is if we had signed with just a few demos to Columbia records, my God, how, how many additional years after living wolves, the best revenge might forget what, you know, have come out and been totally off the right. deep end. It probably would have yeah, probably yeah. would have sounded like some wannabe Radiohead album or something, you know, so, <laughs> right. it would have been even more ridiculous. So I guess, I guess fast forward a little bit then in terms of kind of midtown kind of starting to wrap up a little bit where, I mean, when did that start to happen? And, um, I guess, how was it for you? And um, who was, you know, was it a collective? Was, mm -hmm. I mean, how, how did that, how did that play out? Yeah. So we, our last show, I believe was May of 2005. So that would have just been 15 years ago, uh, a few months mm -hmm. ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and, um, and we got home from that tour. We were exhausted. It was basically the end of the, um, you know, of our entire push on forget what you know. Yeah. And it came to the time where like, all right, so the band kind of flatlined, if anything, maybe, you know, even lost a few fans at that point. And we're like, well, we're getting older. Do you keep pushing on? Um, or do you say, hey, you know, that was a fun ride and we should be smart about our futures. Now, I actually, we actually talked, we had our management talk to Columbia Records and they agreed that they would do another album with us, that they would they would continue to move forward. And what ended up happening was is um, we did that. 
we, we we sorry we did talk to them but as a band collectively three of the four guys didn't want to go and make another midtown album on columbia and i think part of that was when you don't see the success as you get older um you know to be able to consider oh can i afford rent or can i have nice things or can i even consider going on vacation is this a viable thing so i think yeah you know that's one thing but i think that's actually something you persevere and see through if you're all totally getting along together and because we didn't see the success we were hoping for after you know just this unending touring for six straight years of just touring 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 no time off writing an album um it gets you get on the nerves of your other bandmates and vice versa so i think that that certainly put a strain on our friendships and because of that because of this strain on our friendships uh i think that had a lot to do with why we didn't make another album and it wasn't just about the success versus um lack of success at that moment of time um i think if we were all like besties you know we would have done another album together uh especially if because because gabe was like i think gabe was a quarter teetering on it but if tyler and heath were frustrated um you know, like, like, what's the point of pushing everybody if they're not all like in, in it, you know? And I think vice versa from, from Tyler and Heath as well uh, with the s- similar feelings. And I do think Gabe saw at that point in time, um, you know, what the, what the, what was happening in the world musically, right? So um, because we did get to play Australia and Europe a million times and whatnot, we saw electronic music and dance music was certainly getting bigger. It hadn't yeah. quite struck with America yet, right? Um, uh, it wasn't quite there. But you know, I remember when we were even recording, um, whether it was Save the World or Lose the, Lose the Girl in, in in LA a few years previous, we were listening to bands like The Faint and Daft Punk on repeat right. over and over again, and in the band. And you know, obviously Daft Punk isn't. I'm sorry, um, The Faint isn't like. You know, you don't think of them as your traditional like electronic disco whatever band because they were on Saddle Creek and you know I'm sure they were some punk kids that played this really great different music, but um, Gabe, I think I think he saw that, and I think he right. could kind of smell the future because like and and so he's like, well, you know, if I'm gonna give it a shot, let me give myself the best chance. I mean, you'd have to ask him obviously, but it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's and, and and he saw Lane in an opening, and I'm sure he had spoken to pete wentz from fallout boy yeah, to have yeah. cobra on uh, decadence which is pete yeah. wentz's fall uh which is pete wentz's uh, record label and mm-hmm. um you know especially with you know some of the producers he might have been able to link up with and the opportunity to be on the on the soundtrack for snakes uh, snakes on a plane you know yeah of course so, <laughs> um, yeah i mean perfect band name cobra cobra starship yeah coincided so, <laughs> yeah. quite nicely yeah. yeah yeah so um so, you know, so when Cobra first started, um, I was actually talking to him and, you know, we had jammed a few times with me on drums and then believe it or not, me on bass oh, really? uh, with Cobra Starship. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, I was the oldest in the band. So I'm like, maybe it's time for me to, for, for me to hang it up. Um, but uh, living in Brooklyn, my upstairs neighbor, Alex, um, he, uh, I was like, hey, um, my well first with alex upstairs my roommate at the time was max bemis from yeah the band, say say anything. Anything. yeah and then uh there was a time where max was looking for a guitar player so that guy alex jammed uh, in our living room 
with acoustic guitars with Max to see if it was something they both wanted. And then right after that, um, uh, I think I think Max got a guitar player or Alex wasn't ready to tour yet. Um, so he was still feeling out if touring was something he might want to do. Uh, I introduced him to Gabe from Midtown. And I'm like, mm-hmm. um, Gabe's looking for, it was like a bass player uh, or guitar player and uh, or even keyboard player at that time. And they met, they hung out, they hit it off. And then Alex's friend, the bass player of Cobra Starship, uh, his good friend Ryland, he's like, Ryland's a shredder also, a great guitar player. He's like, well, let me have my friend Ryland be in Cobra Starship. So Cobra Starship formed because uh, of my upstairs neighbor and my upstairs neighbor's good friend Ryland. So that's how those <laughs> fan members came together. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, like, and what about for you? Was it fairly soon after, after the end of this kind of touring way of life that you, you thought, okay, I'm gonna, I want to stay involved in, in the music world and form my own record label? Was that, did that kind of happen then, or was that was there a period in between? Yeah, so that's actually a, a really good question for how my life kind of ended up today. I actually started mm-hmm. that record label in 2003. When I was in high oh, school, right. I wanted to start a record label, but I had no money, right? So I was like, in 2003, when Midtown was still touring, I heard this demo from this kid, Greg, uh, who was in a band called, who is in a band called Time and Distance. I believe it's still a band, actually. Um, right. And and he said, uh, and I was like, hey, Greg, I just reached out to him online. And I'm like, hey, can I, um, uh, I like this five song acoustic demo you have. Um, maybe I can start a label and release the music and I'll try to put you on some shows and, um you'll have nothing to lose. Um, and he was super excited. He was already a Midtown fan, which was great. My friend, Laura DeMarc, um, she passed me along his demo. And that's how the label started in 03. But in 05, when Midtown breaks up, ironically, I still have the label. And mm-hmm. that's when I put out my first full-length album on the record label, I Surrender Records. And that was Valencia, the band Valencia. Oh, was, that was the first one, okay. Yeah. So Midtown breaks up and I have to release my first full length album. Well, what do I have? I have all the damn time in the world because my band broke up and I don't have a job yet. So I just started focusing on the label full time. And the transition was really the timing of having my first full length LP and the time of Midtown being broken up to really give it that shot. And somehow over 30 releases later, that's where I ended up today. Uh, you know, the, the label's not my full time gig. I, I do web development for full time. Uh, okay. you know, jobby job stuff, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where, uh, I still have it today. And my God, this year is going to, the, the next 12 months, months might be the busiest 12 months in terms of the label since the label oh, really? started. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. I don't know how it in, happened. Yeah. In, in what sense then what's, what's kind of making you busy right now, given that, you know, I guess all these, ba- is it the fact that the bands now aren't able to go out on the road that they're focusing more on um writing and releasing music is that i mean is that that what it is uh it's a few things it's it's not that actually it's not it's nothing to do with the pandemic um okay about uh so four years ago we signed this artist named lincoln and he was the only artist that was active we thought okay the label lincoln we love we love his music He's a big format fan. Gabby, who runs the record label with me, she loved the format growing up and knows Sam mm-hmm. Means from the format. And I think he knows all of them. Uh, she knows all of them. And, uh, and so she found Lincoln on YouTube or something. Um, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. He's great. 
maybe he'll want to release some music with us. So we had him go in New Jersey in 2017 or 2016, maybe, with Brett from I Am The Avalanche, the drummer of I Am The Avalanche, now the drummer of, the, and also the drummer of the movie Life Now. Mm-hmm, yeah. Brett recorded this EP and it's awesome. His name is Lincoln. Um, the EP is called A Constant State of Ohio. But the story is about the first track on the EP. This was another one of those uh, God, I wish I could hit you for the rest of my life moments okay. where I had to tell <laughs> yeah. I had to tell Brett. I had to tell Lincoln. I had to tell Gabby. He has a song called St. Bernard. And this song, is, it has to go first on the EP. It has to, it has to. Even if it wasn't going to be the single or whatever you want to consider a single or a focus or what the first song really even if it's not going to be that we have to put this first because it's the, the craziest song you'll ever hear it's like it's that same idea different vibe uh more mellow and different than just rock and roll but go mm-hmm. and listen to the track after we're done with this the, the song called saint bernard and you'll totally get it okay. so so four years ago this 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 album comes this ep comes out after the first year we're like, oh, this is interesting. This song, St. Bernard, after the first year one, it just started sh- going, streaming like 800 streams a day. I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know, we're at the end of, uh, tw- end of 20, beginning of 2018 at that point. And then at the end of 2019, we're like, oh, this is so neat. It's like, it's doing 7,000 streams a year, mm-hmm. a, a day, 7,000 streams a day. Right, yeah, and yeah. Then, yeah. And then middle of the year, it's like doing 13, 14,000 streams a day. Then you get to the end of, uh, you know, you get to the fall of 2019 and it's doing like 22, 23,000 streams a day. All of a sudden, January 1st, 2020 hits. It bumps up to 40,000 streams a day. Pandemic Whoa. hits mid-March, over 100,000 streams a day of this song. We're like, Fucking holy hell. shit. So it turned out, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with TikTok, but a lot of times there'll be like these trends oh, it's, of it's videos. Gonna, okay, okay. And but these trends of videos that you know users use all have the same song. They 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 choose to use this same familiar song. So, right. Okay. You know, you've probably heard like you've seen some of the you know whether you know sometimes it's a dance, sometimes it's like a makeup reveal. Um, you know, or a food thing, whatever, you know, whatever it is. So apparently all these users on these creators on TikTok started using um, his song, St. Bernard. And through all my years of Midtown managing bands that crush music, which we didn't talk about, which is fine. But, uh, and the record label, this had never happened before. We never have a song when they talk about like viral or organic and all those, you know, stupid terms. This is the first time it ever actually happened. So that happens this year. We signed this great little punk band from New Jersey called Steve, um, right. who hopefully won't be a little much longer. Um, we have another signing that I can't announce yet, which is going to be announced very soon. Okay. And then we have a band we may have signed previously, which we are about to announced they finished their album and about to announce the signing of this album that we have with them which we won't talk about because it's not announced yet but you know them very well you may have even dangling carrots here rob you're dangling carrots (laughs) you may have even interviewed them on your show in the past few months okay Okay. Um, but they're gonna have a new album with new music 
that we're going to release within one one month of today. And they haven't had new music in years. Okay. So, um, so all these things just started to happen. And Lincoln, the uh, the artist that has that that TikTok song called Saint Bernard, um, and that's going to come out next year too. So he's he's going to go in with his to do his full length soon too. Just from the, from the TikTok point of view, I mean, Chris and I were probably a little bit too old, old. for yeah. for the TikTok, but <laughs> for the TikTok, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, Google. <laughs> for, for, for 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 I guess for Lincoln is that is that driving revenue to, to is it, I mean he's he seeing that from a revenue point of view is he is he being rewarded for 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 that for the yeah. success he's had through TikTok? Okay, so he a hundred percent is, and I'll tell you why. Historically, if you somehow like your song went big on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. You Historically, it, yeah. some. Something like, well, not even about monetizing, but, but, but something like YouTube didn't necessarily translate to Spotify and to Apple Music. Or if you had a video go real big somewhere on it, you know, whatever it was, it didn't necessarily mm. translate across all the other streaming platforms. More than anything else that I've ever seen, maybe in my lifetime, TikTok, if a song gets big on TikTok, people go listen to it on Spotify. People go listen to it on YouTube. People go listen to it on Apple Music, and they even purchase. Obviously, not a lot this to, at this point in time, but they'll even go and purchase physical product. So it's a really wild experience to see this. Um, so it'll be exciting for him because he never really toured. Now he has the opportunity once the pandemic done is to actually do shows with people singing at his shows from day one. How much fun is that? How exciting is that as an artist to have that opportunity? Wow. So. For yeah, sure. so that's uh, cool. yeah. So, so the answer is yes. He he's definitely being uh, rewarded, and I think it's exciting for him. And it's one of those things that you know. He, sometimes in life, you have lightning in a bottle, and um, hopefully, he can capitalize that on that and have a really nice career. And that's nice. our goal for him. Cool. Well, we'll go check yeah. him out, and maybe we'll we'll see if we can get a, yeah, a chat in with him at some yeah. point. That would be sick. He loves to talk about music, so he's a, he's a true artist. So I, I mean, I guess that the, the it, I mean, you you work in web development, but how much of this, how much of the label stuff? To I mean, is does it take your time these days? Is that do you have other people who I, I guess a team of people who help you drive drive some of that and run run that show? Yeah, absolutely. So so the the great thing you know about having a label is that um, you can form a team, and that team could be people who own the label with you, or they could be. Um, outsourced people. Uh, and when I say outsourced, I mean people who can maybe oversee the complete making of a music video, uh, a publicist that you can hire, um, uh, a, a distributor that may have other, uh, other like the distributor may have salespeople, the distributor may have, you know, we'll see, it doesn't usually work so well, but, you know, ability to find playlists that they could try to get your artist's music on. But uh, more specifically, I own the record label with uh with two of my best friends um alex who works at crush um alex uh alex manages uh, an artist named matt nathanson and alex manages uh lord who you probably know and um alex i met because in 1999 he put on a uh a midtown show at a skate park um, so he was the promoter for the show. And at that show, um, I guess uh, the movie life uh, had a booking agent at the time by a guy named Christian McKnight. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, a promoter legend in the Long Island, New York City scene. He's a funny guy. Um, he, I guess, told them to go to the show and that they're on the show. But he didn't tell the promoters of the show. So one of the first times, if not the first time Midtown ever met the movie life was at the show that Alex put on, who owns a label with me now, that was a Midtown show that um, the movie life thought they were on, didn't realize. So I met, I think I met the movie life and Alex the same day at the same show. Okay. Um, and now Alex is killing it at Crush. And then, uh, so um, Gabby, who's the other owner of I Surrender, um, I met her because in around 2001 or so, um, back then when you emailed, it wasn't really on your phones. Um, you had to get on, um, the internet, you had to get on, a, a you know, a computer. And yeah. I was like, I'd be in Utrecht and, <laughs> um, begging the promoter to get on their computer, you know, dial up internet so I could update the web, the, the shows that have been canceled or added. So I could yeah. uh, respond to emails. And back then, when you wanted to respond to an email, first of all, it was basically done on a web browser. And you would like, you would write the email, you would hit send, and then it would take 30 seconds to get to the next page, which would say, <laughs> would you like to go to the inbox? Or would you like to go to the next message? Or would you like to delete it? Then you click that. And then it goes to the next page after 30 seconds, because you're on dial up. So I was like, I would try to write three emails and it would take an hour on this, these yeah. like slow, yeah. slow network or, or dial ups when I was overseas. So I'm like, Gabby was our friend, our friend. She ended up being our, our good friend for Midtown. She was a fan and then a friend because she ran our message boards. They had these things called Yahoo groups, which like were the best punk rock message boards for like pop punk email bands back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, like everybody had one and, and the bands talked on them like, um, uh, on newfound glory like on ours i was talking on it all the time he and our band was talking about on the newfound glory one ian was all over it ian the bass player from newfound stuff like yeah, that yeah. so all bands had them I'm sure movie life had them and all that stuff so she was one of the two um uh message board um what do you admins or whatever you call them and uh the mm-hmm. group's admins so um i was like hey gabby dude could you help me please I can't get anything done on the road. It's like, because you didn't have smartphones, there was, there's still some dial up. And even, even when you had ethernet connections, people didn't really have Wi-Fi back then. When you had ethernet connections, it took forever. So she did that. And then she started helping update our website. And then she started helping update our MySpace and talk, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah, all those stuff. So yeah, yeah. she ended up moving from Arizona to New York to go to Pace University. And I'm and, uh, and and I was like, Gabby, I have this record label now. I know Midtown isn't a thing, but would you mind interning at my record label? So she helped with all the social media stuff for I Surrender back then for like four. Okay. She was big. She was big helping with Four Year Strong's career. She did a lot with that from a, a label mm-hmm. standpoint. Um, and in uh, Valencia as well and, and a bunch of our other bands um, now crush needed market people to help with marketing so she killed it with i surrender so we're like crush has to hire her so now gabby oversees marketing for freaking green day and weezer oh, wow. and fallout boy and sia 
and Lord. So just a punk kid going to shows, loving the format in in Arizona, <laughs> and now she's just slaying the world. So she wow. helps a lot with everything marketing and and whatnot as well with the label. So she's she's just a wonderful human, and I'm very lucky that uh that we that Midtown was I, all the all the Midtown guys are very fortunate that she was uh, involved in our life. Happy days. Happy days. Quarantined. <laughs> yeah what have you got much planned for the weekend i mean what does what's your weekend looking like what am i doing this weekend i'm gonna be i'm gonna make a vegan calzone which is nice. amazing what vegan what vegan cheese do you use for that okay so have you heard of violife yeah yeah yeah. that's that's like okay. the biggest one over here so that so that melts a lot better than dia have you heard of dia yeah yeah that okay. we don't get that as much here but, but yeah i know it, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so violife but uh, it's funny because um, I've been vegetarian. I was vegetarian since I think 1998 or 97, uh, 98, January 98 or 97. Right, okay. I don't even remember anymore. And like I always knew going fully plant based um, was what I should be doing. But sure. I was, I, you know, and I get it. It's hard. You don't fully understand. You don't fully know. And it's. Not only is it like, oh, I love cheese. I can never get it. I hear that, whatever, bacon, whatever. Um, but I think also on a, on a social level, it, it is hard to be vegan or even vegetarian because it's like people roll their eyes at you or give you shit. But it's like, I'm not doing it for me. Like, come on, give me a break. But what ended up happening was, is like um, fall of last year, uh, fall of 2019, um, there was this product that came out called Just Egg. Have you heard of this? Yeah, Just Egg? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. It, it okay. hasn't made its way over to the UK, but I'm I'm fully aware of it, though. Yeah. Okay. Is, it, is it good? Is it realistic? Okay. It's a liquid, and it scrambles just like an egg. It's like, yeah. like, how did this happen? I don't know how this happened. So one of the things I would always do as a vegetarian was make, like, egg and cheese sandwiches or omelets or, yeah, you know, yeah. going to the bodega at 2 a.m. in the morning when you're drunk and get your baked egg and cheese sandwich, blah, blah, blah. Um you know, I would make egg and cheese sandwiches all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, once I started, I saw this thing. I was like, oh, it's, it's you know, it's not crazy expensive. It's actually only four ninety nine here in the U.S. now at Whole Foods. Yeah. And I was like, okay, um, I'm just gonna buy this. And then after I started buying that, I'm like, I'll try the vegan cheese. So I was just like, wait a second. In 2020, it is so easy to be vegan. I think it's easier to be plant based in 2020 than it was to be vegetarian in 2010. I actually think it's easier to be vegan today than 10 years ago being vegetarian because it's just so many options. Yeah, yeah, particularly somewhere like the US or the UK. It's it's crazy. Yeah, like literally literally last night um, I went to a um, like a like a outdoor sports everything's outdoor now in New York, but so mm-hmm. like a outdoor sports bar thing to watch the the Raptors Celtics game. And um, I'm just like I look at the menu and it just says Beyond Burger. It's like yeah. And then but this is a meat bar. Like this place is known for their wings, right? Sure. And after and after the Beyond Burger, it had an option for like a bean veggie burger, right? So yeah. The fact that there's not one but two options at like a primarily meat based place is kind of a big deal. But it just it, for me it was just it's just so easy. How could I not at this point? Because I know sure. for me, it, you know, for my opinion, and how I feel. Um, it is something important to me to, to know that I can, if it's easy for me to impact for a positive change without having to change my life much, 
then how could I say no? And that's sure. kind of how I felt sure. about it. So, but the one funny thing that you bring that up about the Violife cheese, I actually follow a lot of those like ridiculous vegan Instagram pages where they just show like amazing food after amazing food where like you're just salivating, like how did you make that vegan? Well, a lot of times they, they I don't remember them by news, but like every time I'm like, oh my God, what is this amazing thing? And they're like, ah, you can only get it at some, like the famous grocery stores in the UK. And I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, shit. So, so we have it both ways where there's a lot of, because yeah. I think UK must be real big on plant-based now because it feels real. It feels like it's a big thing. Yeah, yeah, partic- particularly in, in London where I live as well. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's certainly like the last three or four years, it's just exploded. It's, it's always been bigger um, in the UK and I think it actually has a lot to do with uh, a number of years ago, young people don't remember this, but there was a big epidemic of mad cow's disease uh, in nine, the UK. 96, yeah, yeah, I remember. 19, okay, yeah, 19, which is interesting because that 1996 is about the year that this kind of punk music probably started to break for you and you started to learn about it. So <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right, yeah. So that's why in your mind and in my mind, it's like it's, it's such an event. That we remember, '96, there was a, a big outbreak of mad cow's disease. They probably had to kill a ton of cows. Farms probably shut down. Other countries weren't importing meat from the UK, um, and all that sort of thing. So, because of that, I think that helped the UK uh, get ahead of other countries on saying, "Okay, we got to put a veggie burger at McDonald's, a veggie burger and Burger King." Are you veg? Uh, yeah, I'm. Ve- I'm veg. I've kind of. I've, you know, I've tried to be vegan before, you know, I've like lasted a couple of years and now like I eat mostly plant-based, but I'm a bit more relaxed on it. So I will have cheese every now and then, even, you know, it's not. This is the first I've heard, Chris. This is new information to me. No, you, no, no, you, 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 you you like raised an eyebrow a few weeks back when I mentioned a pan, a paneer dish I'd made. Oh, that's true. true, So, so yeah, I'm, I'm a casual cheesy and now I have to confess, you know, I kind of, you know, want to ramp up it to mainly plant-based so so you like fully fully plant- i know obviously you've been veggie for for you know forever at this point rob but are you, so are you saying you know, that you are basically plant-based at this point yeah 100 percent plant-based for about uh for about nine months now right. um ever since just egg basically <laughs> yeah no no but what is funny is well it's actually opened me up to more food than i would have ever imagined eating but once you yeah. go vegan you're like holy shit, there's so much more out there and I have so many more options because now I'm looking for it. My blinders were taken off and that's why it's kind of great. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to shout out, especially, um, on the, on the point of uh, vegan or vegetarian. Um, I think, um, somebody who, who has a lot of interesting stories about it in terms of, um, his past, uh, via times of CBGBs and otherwise is, um, um, it's Toby Morse, the singer. Of, oh yeah. Uh, of H2O. H2O. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you a, a quick story. And then if you get him as an interview, uh, you can bring this up to him. So okay, I think good. it, I think it was about 94. First of all, he's, he's been vegan since the eighties, I believe, I think the eighties, if not the early nineties, but I think the eighties. And um, I, I actually, I, and the reason I, I know this and it's so topical is, um, do you know who Kevin Smith is? This uh, he is, um, uh, the director of Mall Rats. Yeah, the, and the, the the director, actor. Yeah, yeah, because because he nearly died and then he went fully plant based after that, didn't he, or something? And now he's look look looking better than ever. That's right. So, yeah. um, his daughter 
was vegan when he um, he had his issues, and his daughter basically made made him go vegan to to help save his life, and yes. um, they started a podcast called Vegan Abattoir, and right. um, his daughter Harley Quinn Smith, which is a fantastic name. Harley Quinn interviewed Toby Morse of H2O a few weeks ago on their podcast, and he oh, talked really? about okay. it and what he's doing now. So um, I think that could be interesting even to bring up to him a few things. One, because I'm curious, I'd like to hear it. What was it like for him being vegan touring in the UK versus in the US? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. moreover, I believe it was 1994. It might have been 95. I went to that, that venue called City Gardens, a 500-capacity venue in Trenton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to see Rancid, headline. And this is part of just how cool the scene, the scene can be compared to like going to a concert, right? Rancid finishes their set, and they said, hey, there's this new band called H2O. You know, our friend Toby sings. They've never played a show before. We're going to, even though our show's done, we're going to have them come on stage and play a song or two for you. So I was at H2O's first Whoa. show unintentionally yeah. because I went to see Rancid. So his first experience of that was Trenton, New Jersey, in the middle, you know, of a shady area. And uh, I'd say 94, 95. So you could, you could ask him that. But yeah, you should, you should reach out to him. Yeah, definitely. We haven't done that before, so I think I yeah. think that's a very good show. Um, and he was, by the way, H2O, that same record label that Midtown was on when the label folded, uh, H2O was on that label too. So I think that might be interesting because I'm curious, how, how did that experience, did that hurt their band? Was that the, yeah, did yeah. that like kind of mess up things for them as well? Or if did we they get off the... You know? If we get that booked, you should just come on with us as a, as a, as a guest co-host. I, I'm not worthy. All right? you, I, that, I, I would have some questions, but yes. I, I'd probably go all vegan on it and like bore everybody listening to death. They don't want to hear that shit. Yeah. We, we've covered a few subjects today anyway, which is good. Not just the music, which is... Uh, yeah, that's you know, true. I was going to say, should we wrap things up? We've probably taken a good couple of hours of your time now. so um, No diggity, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, no, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and like... Um, yeah, I got to learn to stop talking. That's for sure. Oh, my God. Okay, best way to end this. He wrote, um, he goes, ha, Tyler from Midtown Lakes. Ha, not anymore. I covered up the tattoo. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I covered it up, but definitely took the heart from there. And he uh. goes, literally just covered it up. Oh, really? <laughs> literally just covered it up. <laughs> I hope it was it was with something worthy. Yeah. Well, if you want to interview either any of the other Midtown guys, just let me know. Yes. Nice one, Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Cool. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also, check us out on social media. If you, if you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, give us a like or a follow on any of those. And also, we love hearing from listeners as well, so um, feel free anytime to drop us an email at thewastingtimepodcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well. But um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Peace.